Welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two women who are not equipped to talk about history do it anyway. I'm your host for this evening, Morgan, joined by my absolutely perfect co-host, Emily. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Let's just jump right into our skit, okay? Yeah. Hey, have you heard? There's a guy stopping by here on his way to Mecca. I heard he's loaded. Well, I heard that a whole damn city is on its way. What? How is a city going to fit here in Cairo? We're already a city. Dunno, but if he's as rich as you're saying, then who cares? Hey guys, he's here. Come on. He's giving gold away by the handfuls. Hello, lovely people! Y'all want gold? Well, here it is! You get some gold, and you get some gold, and everybody gets gold! We got lots of it! Take what you want! Wow! This guy is great! I can finally afford to pay off my student loans! And I can finally buy a house! He's amazing! Twelve years later. My dang papers keep flying away. Too bad windows don't exist yet to keep drafts out. Here, have a spare paperweight. You can have it. Um, this is a gold bar. Yeah, I got lots of them. I don't know what to do with them. I heard Joe build a whole shed out of his leftover gold bars. Wow. I'm glad I went ahead and just spent all of mine on student loans. It'd be almost worthless now. We had some Oprah going on in there for a second. <laughs> we did. This this man's was the Oprah of his time. Not really. <laughs> but he was very generous, as I will yeah. talk about in a minute. So today we are talking about the richest person to have ever lived on this earth, Mansa Musa. Let me get some of that money. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, do you know anything about Mansa Musa, Emily? Not a damn thing. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's that is why we're here today to learn. To learn. <laughs> this man has gone down in legend, like, and I'll get into it a little bit later. But his wealth is literally cannot be quantified. It is what? so much. So, uh, Mansa Musa, he was a king of Mali in Africa from 1312 to 1337. So he ruled for about 36 years. He's, like I said, one of the richest men to have ever lived. His net worth is noted as indescribable. Some esti- There's some estimates that put it around $400 billion. I'm sorry, with a B? Yeah. And a lot, some people are like, no, that's too low. Too low? Yeah. Because... Some experts say that his wealth was almost endless. I actually found the BBC published the top richest men of all time in 2019. So I got this list from there. So number 10, I'm just going to go through this list because I think it's interesting. Um, So number 10, his name is Muammar Gaddafi. I hope I said that correct. Um, But he lived from 1942 to 2011, and he is a longtime ruler of Libya. His estimated worth was about $200 billion. Jeez. He's, no, he's number 10 on the list. What? <laughs> oh, God. 
Number nine is William the Conqueror, lived from 1028 to 1087, and he was an English king. He's estimated about $229.5 billion. Number eight is Mir Osman Ali Khan. He was an Indian royal who lived from 1886 to 1967. He was worth about $230 billion. Number seven is Nikolai Alexandrovich Romanov. He was the Tsar of Russia, and he lived from 1868 to 1918. His wealth was about $300 billion. Number six is John D. Rockefeller. He was an American business magnate, lived from 1839 to 1937, uh, about $341 billion. Andrew Carnegie lived from 1835 to 1919. He was a Scottish-American industrialist and philanthropist. He was valued at about $372 billion. And now we're getting, we're getting into crazy amounts here, okay? Oh so God. number four is Akbar I. He lived from 1542 to 1605, and he was a Mughal dynasty emperor in India. His wealth is incalculable. Incalculable? Yep. There is no wealth assigned to him on the top ten list. Then we have Zhao Zhu. He lived from 1048 to 1085. He was the Emperor Shenzong of Song in China. His wealth was also incalculable. At number two, we have Augustus Caesar. He lived from 63 BC to 1480, who's a Roman emperor. Mm -hmm. He was valued at about 4.6 trillion. With a T? With a T. <laughs> oh, and then number one is Mansa Musa who's the king of the Mali Empire, and he lived from 1280 to 1337. And his wealth is incalculable. Uh, my brain right now, with just those numbers, it's like that little hamster that's running up there on that wheel <laughs> has had a stroke. I cannot. <laughs> no. Well, and what's crazy, so no. for context, for context... Like, the two men that uh, at least Americans know of as two of the richest men on Earth right now are Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Right now, Elon Musk's worth is only, only $178.9 billion. So he's not even in that top ten list. And then Jeff Bezos is worth $128.7 billion. Which is, I mean... I can't imagine... Nothing to shake your hat at, but... I can't imagine looking at, like, those two men and being like... Y'all ain't shit to my man, Mansa Musa. <laughs> what? I mean, it's, it is insane. Like, and you know, from, there's not a whole lot known about him. Because right. this was hundreds of years ago and, you know, record keeping. Just didn't. There's actually reasons. Oh. Well, and they happen, but his records have been lost. So, but from all accounts that I've been able to find, he was a generous man, which I'll go into a little bit more about him. So who was Mansa Musa? So first, Mansa is kind of the equivalent to king or emperor. Okay. So it's a title. Um, he was born in 1280 as Musa Keita. Uh, he's described as having a big personality. Also, I thought this is interesting. Musa is the Arabic form of Moses. Oh. Um, I just thought that was neat. Yeah. So in or in oral tradition, so I watched this, I found this documentary on Netflix. It's only like 20 minutes, but it's about this artist's journey 
to kind of rediscover Mansa Musa and kind of reclaim that old African wealth in Mali. Because things changed a lot after his rule. But in, Mansa, in oral tradition in Mali, he's referred as Kanku Musa. It means Musa, son of Kanku. So it's almost like a surname. Okay. So I couldn't find a whole lot about his childhood, but I found some interesting things about his family. Mm-hmm. And some of the sources I found kind of contradicted each other a little bit. So I apologize if some of the things that I say aren't 100% accurate. Because, like, the person he preceded, in one source I saw it was his cousin, and another I saw it was his brother. So it was kind of little convoluted. Here and there. A little bit. Yeah. Um, but for sure, his great uncle, his grandfather's brother, Sundaita Kita, founded the Mali Empire. And so, and Ma- Musa's grandfather's name was Abu Bakra Keita. Musa's father was Fagale. I also, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this right. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not. <laughs> So his brother slash cousin, again, I saw conflicting things. His name was Abu Bakra Keita II. And he was appointed as Musa, or he was appointed, he was the emperor at one point. Um, and Musa was his deputy during his reign. Okay. Are you following me here? So his grandfather was appointed. No, his great, his grand uncle. Okay. His great uncle. Great uncle. Was the emperor. Got it. Founded the Mali Empire. Yep. yep. Then his brother slash, Musa's brother slash cousin eventually became emperor. And I, I tried to find stuff about the line of succession, but yep. there were s- honestly like so many different names. That my brain just kind of blue screened a little bit. Yeah. Um, Happens. So I, I apologize. Okay. So um, his cousin is ruling. Slash brother. Brother. Possibly. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yes. This there's not a whole lot that I could find about this guy either, but one big thing is that he believed that he could find fortune across the Atlantic Ocean mm-hmm. and get to Brazil. So he left and never returned. It's actually reported that he actually did make it to Brazil. He wasn't specifically going to Brazil because the Americas hadn't been discovered mm-hmm. yet. At least, yeah, it was about 200 years before Columbus made his journey to the Americas. But Columbus reported that he had met black traders in South America. So there is some belief that he did make it to South America and then survivors, you know, kind of blended in with the the existing indigenous peoples. Because the previous emperor, um, Musa's brother, cousin, (laughs) whoever (laughs) uh, never came back, he was appointed as the, as emperor. Uh, he was also known, known as the 10th Sultan of Mali. So, Mansa Musa's reign began in 1312, and he was a very devout Muslim. And he was the first Muslim ruler in West Africa to make the pilgrimage to Mecca. And, and that's a big part of Islam, to try to make that pilgrimage. Uh, and it was nearly 4,000 miles from where he was. And this pilgrimage is what he is famous for. It is, like, when you say Mansa Musa, most people who know who he is will think about this pilgrimage. So it's what made him famous. It's what put, this journey is what put 
Mali on the map literally. Spanish cartographers drew a map of West Africa, and there's a portrait of Mansa Musa holding a gold nugget to signify the kingdom of Mali. Wow. Yeah, so Musa made the trek to Mecca from Mali in 1324. And this is what he brought with him. 60,000 people what? in his entourage. 60? Six, six zero. Yes. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he had 12,000 slaves. Um, I'm not sure if that is counted in the total number or separate. Okay, I couldn't so it find could be, any of that. It could be 60,000 plus 12,000 or it's 60,000 total. Total. Okay. Right. Got it. Sources kind of di- weren't, weren't clear. I looked, yeah. at a, I looked at a bunch of different ones and those two numbers were always listed separately. So I couldn't tell if the 12,000 was right. included in that 60,000 Could be number. 72, could be 60. Right. But that's still a lot. <laughs> it's still a lot. <laughs> uh, he had 18 tons of gold carried by about 80 camels. Each person that traveled in his entourage in his entourage, including his slaves, uh, were decked out in the finest silks and brocades. I mean, they were luxurious. And, I mean, not great he had slaves, but... No, I'm just imagining a bunch of people going, like, on this journey in, like, Prada (laughs) and Gucci. I mean, okay. (laughs) I want you to think, you know, in the, the movie Aladdin... Yeah. The, the musical sequence, the Prince Ali. Yeah. Fanciest yeah. Ali Ababa. That's basically this entourage. Oh my God. Like, Did he have elephants? Please tell he, me. Directly behind him, he had 500 slaves, each carrying a solid gold staff. Jesus. Just like behind his camel or whatever he traveled on, he had 500 people behind him carrying a solid Listen, gold staff. Gold is heavy. I would hate to carry that thing. Yeah. Can I put this in the desert somewhere? Just, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. But he he had a walking city with him, basically. Like, everywhere he went, they, I mean, he had merchants, he had artisans. Like, he had an entire city with him. And while he was making this trek to Mecca, he was extremely generous with his wealth. He was just handing gold out to people as he passed through. I mean, what else are you going to do with it when you got that much? Right. It's reported, it's also reported that he built a new mosque every Friday (laughs) in his travels. (laughs) I mean, good for him. That's awesome. But just the fact that you have the resources while just on a couple thousand mile journey to be like, oh, it's Friday. Build a mosque. Time to build a new mosque. Yeah, uh, that was only one source I saw. So I'm holding. Maybe on to that, that is stretched a little bit, but I I liked that. I thought that was nice. That's a good idea. It's good for him. I love this. <laughs> um, so on his journeys, he stopped in Cairo, mm-hmm. Egypt. Mm-hmm. He. He literally had to be dragged away from his worship to meet the Sultan of Cairo. Couldn't be bothered. (laughs) Right. He was, I mean, like I said, he was extremely pious. And the sultan wanted to meet him, and he literally had to be dragged. Which kind of started things off a little, like, tense. But they ended up getting along very well. So the sultan's name was Al-Malik Al-Nasir, or Al-Nasir Muhammad. I've seen both. And the sultan was a very gracious host. 
while they were in Cairo. So I looked up the Sultan because, you know, I just wanted to know a little bit more about him. Uh, he also had a very interesting life. He has a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to him. He had three different periods as ruler, and he kept getting deposed and reinstated. The first two occurred when he was just a child. So, so the first time he was nine, and the second when he was 14. He officially came into power when he was 24. And I was going through this article, and there was so much, like, murder and secrecy and conniving among all the different rulers and viziers, like, and other people just trying to vie for the throne. Like, it was really, really hard to keep track of. Yeah. About a lot of drama. Because it was like, this guy came into power, then he was assassinated, and that guy took over, and then he was thrown in prison, and the next guy took over for, like, 15 years. Jeez. <laughs> so, um, but... Ultimately, um, al-Nasir Muhammad was the Sultan of Cairo. Anyway, Musa spent so much gold in Cairo, he literally depreciated the value of gold in <laughs> Egypt for the next 12 years. <laughs> and then he left. <laughs> <laughs> he just came in. Like, bye. Had a 12-year just hangout session, party, handing people... Oh, he wasn't there for 12 years. He wrecked the economy for 12 years. So he just came for a little bit of time, handed handed out so much gold that it's, wow. Wrecked. He was (laughs) only in Cairo for three months. (laughs) And he wrecked their economy. Because he was too nice and was handing out too much gold. Well, and even then, like, even though the economy was in shambles, like, the people of Cairo still talked about how generous he was and sang his well, praises. Yeah, like, yeah. there's a, a, a historian that came by 10 years later named Al-Umari, and all the people are like, yeah, this guy was so great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> our, our economy is shit now, but he was such a nice guy. <laughs> The nicest guy. The BBC reported that Musa's spending across the Middle East caused about $1.5 billion in economic losses and instability due to his spending and generosity. Like, he wrecked economies. Why couldn't he just be, like, a normal, super, super rich guy and be really greedy with his money? (laughs) It wasn't him. Like... He was just so nice um, with his money. So he ends up getting to Mecca, and I couldn't find a lot about his actual stay in Mecca. Um, Very little. Like, most of what I could find about him was his pilgrimage and then after, when he came back to Mali. So on his way back through Egypt, he went back through Egypt, there's different reports about what happened. Some say he tried to help fix the economy he wrecked by removing the gold with extortionate interest rates. Mm-hmm. Other reports, so this was in the, the documentary and one of the sources I saw. Um, I think they're pronounced griots, griots. I'm sorry. Um, but they're Malian griots and they're singing storytellers, like mm-hmm. oral tradition okay. storytellers. Yeah. And they sang... And they reported that um, they were upset that he spent all of the gold and didn't have anything left on his way back through Egypt. And he had to borrow money from Cairo 
I don't, that one showed up more mm-hmm. in my, in the sources that I looked up, um, that he spent everything. <laughs> and a lot of people were pissed off. Like you literally had 18 tons of gold and you spent all of it. But the journey back was a lot worse. Uh, a lot of his company passed away because of exposure, starvation, right. bandits, which I think makes that second point a lot more likely. Yeah. Um, they didn't have as many resources going back. Um, but when they were in Cairo, the sultan was very generous in return and made sure Musa and his surviving company were cared for. That was nice. Um, also, while Mansa Musa was on his pilgrimage, one of his generals, Sagman, Sagman Sagmandia just like started conquering land. It was like, hey, I'm doing this for you, man. So he conquered the land of Songhai and the cities of Gao and Timbuktu were incorporated into the Mali Empire. And Gao and Timbuktu were considered very important cultural centers of the Mali Empire. Wow. Huh. Yep, just continuing to expand his his empire. So post pilgrimage. The kingdom of Mali prospered under Mansa Musa's rule. It went from a relatively unknown kingdom to everyone in that section of the world knowing Mansa Musa and the Mali Empire. And it was one of the wealthiest kingdoms in Africa. Europe definitely took interest. Of course. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> um, I didn't find anything about Europe like coming in and invading, which they're very wont to do. Mali was incredibly vast, and at the time it spanned modern-day Mali, Senegal, the Gambia, Guinea, Niger, Nigeria, Chad, Mauritania, and Burkina Faso, which is a lot of different countries, but it was about 2,000 miles across. And I looked it up, and that's about from Nashville, Tennessee to Los Angeles. Good Lord! Most of the United States, except for, like, the eastern coast. And like, wow. like this side of the Appalachian Mountains to the East Coast were not included. Everything else was basically about the size of the Mali Empire. That's huge. The United States is yeah. huge. Yeah, it really is. So Mali was already doing re- really well for itself when he came into power, but Mansa Musa really made it into a trading kingdom, utilizing its natural resources, mm-hmm. salt, gold, elephant ivory, and slaves. Mm. Bummer. Yeah. yeah. So according to the British Museum, Mali accounted for almost half of the old, old world's gold. Half? That was used, that was in currency. Half. My almost br- half of the entire old world's gold that was used, like, in circulation. My brain hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Like, the amount of wealth, like, like... Historians say, like, the amount of wealth that this man had is indescribable. Because not only was his wealth come coming from gold, it was from all of the other resources. Right. I mean, with... Think of all the resources you would have with an empire that big. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do so much trade along with the gold and then... Wow. I don't know if I wrote this down, but I saw in one source that it was... <laughs> a rule that the the emperor gets like if any gold is found in any like conquered land or any resources found in any kind of new conquered land the king just gets it so <laughs> I, I want that rule <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go conquer some can land can <laughs> i tell my kids to go dig in the dirt <laughs> 
Go find me treasures, kids. <laughs> Finders keepers. So, Mansa Musa returned from the pilgrimage with many Muslim scholars and architects, and some of which were direct descendants of the Prophet Muhammad, apparently, which pretty neat, I think. That's really cool. Yeah, like, he was... He was a very devout Muslim, and he wanted other Muslims to, like, work for him. Mm -hmm. So, most notably, there's an architect named Abu Eshaq Es-Saheli. I hope I said that right. Mansa Musa gave him $8.2 million to build a bunch of mosques and education centers around his empire. So, he was like, here's a bunch of money. Go build stuff. There's really... And he did. There's really nothing you can't fix. With money, right? I mean... Yeah. Let's... And this architect, um, Es-Saheli, is credited as having designed the... Um, no, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. Jingueriber Mosque. I know I botched that. I'm so sorry. Jingueriber. I tried. <laughs> um, so, Mansa Musa was also a huge proponent of education and religion. He had libraries, schools, mosques built all over his Lovely. kingdom. Like I said, Gao and Timbuktu were, became very important cultural centers. And the, the great mosque at Timbuktu was built. And it's still around today. Ooh. And this was built in, when, the 1300s? Something like that. And Timbuktu became known as the African El Dorado. So there is a mosque at Sankore in Timbuktu, and that was turned into an educational center, which would eventually become the University of Sankore, which is still around today. So I actually got... Cool. Yeah, I know. I got this... So I'm about to read a paragraph, and it is from MuslimHeritage.com, and it's about the University of Sankore. The University of Sankore had no central administration. Rather, it was composed of several entirely independent schools or colleges, each run by a single master, a scholar, or professor. The courses took place in the open courtyards of mosque complexes or private residences. The principal subject matter taught at the university included Quranic and Islamic studies, law along with literature. Other subjects included medicine and surgery, astronomy, mathematics, physics, chemistry, philosophy, language, and linguistics, geography, history, as well as art. Students were also reported to have spent time in learning a trade along with relevant business code and ethics. The university trade shops offered classes in business, carpentry, farming, fishing, construction, shoemaking, tailoring, navigation, etc., it, per, it prospered and became a very significant seat of learning in the Muslim world. It was claimed that the intellectual freedom enjoyed in Western universities was inspired from universities like those in Sankore and Kurturba, which was Muslim Spain at the time. So this was a huge university that offered so many different courses. Like it was just a really amazing just center of learning at the time. That's amazing. Yeah, and it looks like it inspired a lot of Western-style universities as well. Um, and like I said, the university is still functioning today. It is still a university, but... It's so cool. Because of a lack of resources, it's not the beacon of the education it once was. And actually, the, the website I got this from was asking for, like, donations and stuff. Um, and just to get the word out there that this university is still around. But, you know, with all the political climate things that have happened over the past several decades it's been it's been str a struggling university right 
so the names change a lot. The architect that I mentioned before, here I wrote his name was Abu el-Saheli. Um, he built the great mosque at Timbuktu. He built other mosques in Timbuktu and in Gao. Yeah, that's just kind of a little bit about that. Unfortunately, like I said earlier, not a lot is known or recorded about who Mansa Musa was as a person. He did have a wife and children. Mm-hmm. His wife's name was Inari Kunate. And he had one child that I found, and they were listed as Magan, either one or the first. And the documentary I watched said that there's a manuscript about Musa's life, but it vanished. And no one knows what happened to it or why it vanished. Um, And the documentary is Son of the Soil on Netflix. It's only like 20 minutes. But it was interesting. It didn't give a whole lot about who Mansa Musa was as a person. It was more about... Uh, a Mali artist trying to find his identity and cultural significance through Mansa Musa and kind of like taking back that power a little bit, which it comes like that'll become more relevant in just a second. So what we do know is that uh, Mansa Musa was a very pious Muslim and he was very generous with his wealth. He valued trade and education and making his empire important sites for both. Mosques built during his reign still stand today, which is really awesome. Um, After his death, Mali became very unstable, and the kingdom eventually collapsed. And Mali became a very difficult area to live in for a long time. So Mansa Musa reigned for 36 years, and he died in 1337 at 57 years old due to an unknown illness. At one point, he said it would take a year to travel from one end of his kingdom to the other. Oh, and then um, I have it again that Mali accounted for almost half the world's old world's <clears throat> gold. And the old world is cons- is basically considered before contact with the Americas. So up until okay. 1492. That's the old world. So okay. almost half of the gold in circulation up until 1492 was Mali gold. That's so much gold. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. It's just like, I don't feel like it's sinking in all the way. And the more you say it, the more I'm just like. What? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's really all I have. Again, like this, I think this is just a shorter, like, especially after the very extensive episodes on the Battle of Athens. Yes. I thought just like a nice little nugget a little, of history a little was gold good. Nugget. Him holding gold nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some of my sources, I used um, Wikipedia. I know Wikipedia gets dogged on a lot, but I found some really great things. Yeah. And it's all the sources are documented. Um, National Geographic, Britannica Encyclopedia, the BBC.com, and then... Um, TheFamousPeople.com, BlackPast.org, AmazingBibleTimeline.com. Um, I actually found a lot of really great source, like information on that one. And then MuslimHeritage.com. Cool. Um, and then the Son of the Soil documentary on Netflix. So if you have 20 minutes, you want to check out this neat little artistic documentary. I love documentary. artistic documentaries like that. Yeah. Um, it's, most of it is in, in Mali, but there are subtitles. Uh, I can't remember what the, the language is called. I thought I wrote it down, but the language that they speak in Mali, it's mostly in that language. A little English, a little French, but it's just a neat little, yeah. neat little documentary and definitely, you know, give that creator some attention. 
So that's all I have. Okay. What are your thoughts? I am having that reaction I get when something's really old <laughs> and I get nauseous because the more <laughs> I think about all that money, I'm just like, huh, what, what would I, huh? <laughs> what? you literally can't even imagine it. Like it's, you can't even imagine yeah. it in your mind. Yeah, my brain is just, it, it's like the little loading thing, the little circle. It's just not <laughs> comprehending all of that money. What What would you do with that much money, Morgan? Change shit. I would change some shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would. Me, me too. But first, I would buy my husband a house on the river and then change some shit. <laughs> You know what? The first thing I would do is pay off my my student loan debt because because it hurts. Bitch got like almost a hundred grand <laughs> again. <laughs> student loan debt. <laughs> Yay, master's degree. <laughs> that was such a good idea. <laughs> I'm just glad you're using yours because I'm sitting here with two degrees and, I'm, <laughs> and I answer phones. <laughs> Hey, you have a business. I do so many Baking things. Baking cakes. <laughs> Listen, I bake cakes. I'm writing a book. We do a podcast. I paint sometimes. Yeah. I stay busy. None of it's paying me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so busy. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. <sighs> oh, man. All right. Well. Um, that's the end of the episode. We're at a cool less than 40 minutes. Do you, so, you want to read a joke real quick? We don't have to if you don't want to. I don't. I honestly like it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever you want to do. I mean, we have time. That's what I'm saying. It's not like we're pressed for time or anything. Yeah. Um, oh, I can tell one of my favorite ones. Okay. Tell. tell I don't know if it's in the book. Yeah. But, tell your favorite one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hopefully I can tell it right. Yeah. I don't Here's a fuck it up. Okay. Roth Power classic for y'all who listened last <laughs> weekend. You remember us saying, talking about Prof Powers. Uh, here's another joke of his, and it's Morgan's favorite. So have at it. It's the one It's the one that stuck with me the longest. I remember him telling us this joke <clears throat> at Camp Utananuchi. So there's two moles, and they're digging a hole. And they're just digging, digging, digging. And the mole in back goes, hold up. I smell something. And the first mole is like, I don't smell anything. And they keep digging, they keep digging, they keep digging. The second mole stops and goes, hang up, I smell something. And the first mole says, I don't smell anything. Let's, let's just keep digging. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The second one goes, hang on, like I know I smell something. The first mole says, okay, let's just switch places. So the second mole is in front and then the first mole is behind him. So they're digging and they're digging and they're digging. And the first mole goes, Hold up, I know what you're smelling. It's mole asses. <laughs> I know that one and I was trying so hard not to laugh the whole time. <laughs> that was the first time I ever heard like someone say a swear word at an adult say a swear word at a school. At a group or like school at a group event. of children around a campfire at <laughs> school. And he was like, molasses. Everyone was like, <gasps> wow. He said a bad word. And it's, 
and it stuck with me. So I I can picture it vividly in my brain. Like it's definitely a core memory. But that's my favorite Prof Powers joke that I can remember. Well, I tell that one at parties. <laughs> We're the coolest at parties. Oh yeah. <laughs> So invite us to your parties, guys. You'll get more jokes like this. I'll tell you my mole joke. <laughs> do you remember? This is such a segue, but do you remember? It may have been the same trip or it may have been the next year when we went um, and I told that really long. No, you weren't because you broke your knee. You weren't oh, no, there. Wait, was it? Was that when I, when y'all camped uh like hiked up to the oh, and yeah. i couldn't because i oh you're right i pulled you broke your I knee pulled ligaments in my <laughs> knee playing freaking soccer at camp and i had to stay back with a teacher and I watch know. the freaking bachelor <laughs> with her i didn't even <laughs> like the bachelor and i wanted to go hiking <laughs> i know and i think we offered to carry you and people were like no um i think the teacher said no I mean, um, my knee. I feel like that I did been step liability. in a hole, and my knee went left, right, left, right, left, when it should be going forward yeah. or back. And that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was not good. But anyway, so what you missed is I know this is like the most tangent of all tangents, but I told a joke, and it was a really long joke, and I forgot the punchline. <laughs> Everyone was so mad at me. I told like 40 kids this joke and I forgot. And I literally had them there for like five minutes telling this joke. And I forgot the punchline. And everyone was like, never. Morgan Kit isn't allowed to tell jokes anymore. For years, up until he graduated high school, everyone's like, I hope you don't have a joke, Morgan. Please, please tell me that you remembered the punchline, like, later on. Like, like as soon as I walked away, I was like, I remember it now, but everyone booed me off. <laughs> so I was like, never mind. I told my, my friends that I went to, I think I told Corey and some other friends, I was like, I remember the punchline. <laughs> and they're like, well, you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's the funniest anyway <laughs> i wish you'd been there I, I do too my and i'm really mad because there was one year that when i was in the, the car accident i missed that year i just didn't even get to go to camp because i was in a wheelchair oh. Yeah, that's not wheelchair accessible. No. That place was not. No. And then, oh, man. And I was like, what do you mean I have to miss another hike? And I was so mad. Oh. I know. Bless your heart. I know. I keep missing out on fun things because I keep getting hurt. <laughs> Story, Story of, of my life. I literally just got over my kids trying to kill me on the stairs. And now I think I'm going to broke a toe this morning. So <laughs> can somebody put me in a bubble? You, how long would you actually last inside that bubble? You wouldn't. I'd pop people. it and suffocate on it on accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. So, uh, do you want to give the stuff? Yeah. 
Go ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, follow us on Instagram at Ill Equipped History. Uh, now we have a Facebook group. Um, it's a Ill Equipped History podcast. Is that what the yes, group is I think called? It's- I'm prepared. I already forgot, and I turned my phone off because it kept vibrating. But let me, yeah. It's called Ill-Equipped History Podcast. It's a Facebook group. Um, You'll see our lovely faces on there. Uh, Right now, it's just kind of free for everyone to, to join. And as long as everyone behaves themselves, then we'll, you know, keep it that way. Not a lot of rules. Tell us what you think. Um. You know, be kind to everybody yes, on there. Yes, please give us your feedback yeah. in a constructive way. Feel free to not a mean troll yeah, way. Feel free to post your own stuff if you find a really cool story in history. I mean, we might we might cover it if it's if it's enough yeah. to cover. If you have a fun meme you want to make out of something we cover, yeah, that, that's fine too. Yeah. I love memes. I do too. <laughs> Um, we also have an email. Send us an email at illequippedhistory at gmail.com. No spaces or dashes. If you have any recommendations or any corrections that we need to double check, please feel free. Um, I know we don't, like, sources don't always get it right. And if there's something that we missed, we will, you know, absolutely yeah. we want to go back and correct things that we get wrong for yep. sure. Um, that's all I got. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.